0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That'll be our scripture reading today, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. I am John Woodruff, and I uh, have the privilege of serving as a lay elder here uh, at Christ Redeemer. And if you're visiting us today, we're so thankful that you've joined us. And uh, we have been walking through a series, a 10-week series this summer, uh, titled Reasons Jesus Came to Die. And today, uh, I get to talk with us and discuss Jesus came to die to reconcile us to God and to others. Um, And so if you haven't already, uh, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, and we'll be in verses 14 through 21. But uh, we will be t- taking the Lord's Supper at the end of our time today. So if you've come in and you've forgotten to get the elements, feel free to do so now. They're at the entrance. Um, you're welcome to get up and grab a cup of juice and a bread. Let me pray, and then we're going to dive straight in. Heavenly Father. You are so good to us, that you have called us unto you through Christ. Lord, you love us even when we are enemies to you. Lord, I pray for this time as we sit under your word, that we would be moved in our hearts to know your love and to love others well. Lord, we confess that we do not do that well. Lord, I pray today that whatever I have to say is not from me, but is from you. Lord, set me aside. May I only be a representation of you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you can tell, I cry a lot, so uh, bear with me. Um, You can look in your gathering guide. Uh, Today, I have put a diagram of our passage on the top of your gathering guide. And if you look at it, it looks like a mountain, or at least that's what I hope it to look like. And uh, verse 18 through 19, I have at the top, is the apex of this passage. This is the mountain summit, if you will. And these two verses are actually the crux of Paul's letter to Corinthians and the Corinthian church. Um, and verse 16 through seventeen and verse 20 are parallel passages, and they're on the ascent and the descent. and verse 14 through 15, and verse 21 are parallel in the foundation and the starting point of our climb to the summit. So we will spend most of our time today at the top, at the summit, and taking in the view from there, which is verse 18 through 19. but it's also important for us to understand the route to the top, and then what is the starting point that we start this hike from. And we'll do this by actually walking down from the top of the mountain to the foundation. So let me start by reading again verse 18 through 19, and then we'll begin walking down. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... in in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So look at this verse 18, there's a short phrase that begins this here, it says, all this is from God. What is Paul referring to when he says all this? Well, he's referring to all that's before that, all the way up to verse 14. I'll read that for us and see if you can see what all this is referencing. Verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. And those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come so all this in verse 18 is referring to being a new creation in verse 17 but it's not just new creation it's all the other things that encompasses being a new creation that is the old has passed away not regarding people according to flesh that's us seeing them as Spiritual beings, not just the external, uh, what they look like externally. And we see with new eyes um, people in a different way. A new creation also is living for Christ and not ourselves. And, Christ, and new creation is Christ's life and death for you and me. And it's Christ's love for you and me. And simply being in Christ himself is a new creation. So it's important to see where all this comes from. Go back to verse 18, and Paul tells us, all this is from God. God gives us life and new life. God gives us new eyes to see. God comes comes through Christ to us as enemies. We must understand that God is the one at work here. He is the one that does all things. We cannot do anything we cannot be in right standing with Him as enemies of Him. He is holy, we are not. We cannot bring life from death, He supplies all. Look at verse, uh, verse 18 through 21, and Paul saturates these verses with God's action. God is doing everything. Verse 18, all is from God. Verse 19, God through Christ reconciled us to Himself. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled the world to himself. God entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, God makes his appeal through us. Verse 21, God made Christ sin who knew no sin. So we must understand and have God at our starting point. And he is the one that makes us a new creation. For us to rightly understand reconciliation and be ministers of reconciliation... We must first know that it's God who is acting, and He is the starting point. So how does God, uh, you might be asking, how does God make us a new creation? Well, look at verse 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. It is Christ that makes us a new creation. Christ came from God, to the, from the Father, to earth, in the flesh, and that's, that's told to us in verse 16, Christ who knew no sin became sin, verse 21, and died and rose from the dead to life and returned to the Father. So if anyone believes and receives Christ, then we will be a new creation and we will never pass away, we will live forever with him. So my question to you this morning, are you a new creation in Christ? Do you believe in Christ's life and death? His forgiveness of sins for you. If you're unsure, Paul gives us a marker of what new creation is in verse 15. To be a new creation, that is, if you are in Christ, you no longer live for yourself. So that is a marker of a new creation. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Christ who died for us and gave us new life. Romans 8 5 through 11 is very clear on this marker and what it means to be a new creation. You can turn there if you want to, but I'll just read it for us. Verse 5, Romans 8, starting at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set the minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Remember that little phrase, hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So these verses is the difference between the old self and the new creation. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, new creation. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who, is, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the marker of being a new creation is the spirit living in you. You are in Christ. Your mind and life is focused solely on Him and the things of the Spirit. What is your life and mind focused on? Are you focused on living according to yourself? Do you protect yourself when someone hurts you or has something against you? Do you seek pleasure and rest from things of this world? Without question, or without bother? Do you use things to escape suffering and boredom? Or do you live according to the Spirit? Do you live a life of truth? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? Do you find joy in the body of Christ, his church? Do you seek pleasure from knowing Jesus and hunger for him? Do you grieve when you seek ultimate rest and pleasure and praise from things of this world? Do you have a heart for restoration? So just to be clear, the gospel is the starting and ending point for reconciliation. Meaning the gospel makes a new creation and is foundational for reconciliation to God and others. So let's turn back to verse 18, to our summit, the top of our passage here, and think through reconciliation together. What I want to do is discuss reconciliation, what it is, and then practically, um, what does it mean for us to be ministers of reconciliation? So look at verse 18 again. God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. Let's stop there. Once again, it's, we must keep the direction of reconciliation central here. God through Christ reconciles us to him, it's not God being reconciled to us. We are the offender, he is not. He, we are hostile to him, he is not hostile to us. God who is perfect, holy, all-powerful, sovereign, gifts to us who is sinful, unholy, rebellious, enemies, he gives to us reconciliation through Christ so God is the initiator provider and reconciler so what is reconciliation well in the Greek the word is katalasso think of a cat lassoing is the enemy to him if that's helpful uh, katalasso it's two words it's a pre- kata is a preposition meaning down to a exact place and a lasso is a verb decisively change So even in the word itself, it speaks to the direction of God reconciling us to us, us to him. So the first meaning of catalasso is to properly, to change or exchange as of coins of others in equal value. So what I want you to hear here is a language of purchase. This is a language of removing a debt. Another meaning of catalasso is to return in favor with. This is the language that implies that one time we were in favor, we were in union, and no longer are. This word assumes alienation. It assumes utter separation, and it's not just alienation, it's alienation with violence. It's hostility, it's enmity. So one way we can think of biblical reconciliation is God decisively changes, exchanges us through the purchase of Jesus Christ, which brings us enemies back into favor with him you might be asking why is there a need for reconciliation well simply because we are enemies Well, you might be thinking I'm not an enemy I uh, not angry at God I don't I pray I come to church um, but this all began in the beginning when God created at beginning in creation God created all things and they were good. All things were unified, created together in perfect harmony, perfect shalom. And they were all in favor with each other and with God, everything. Heavens and earth, land and water, day and night, vegetation and animals, man and woman, humans and God. Everything was in perfect, holy uh, harmony with the Lord until the fall came in in Genesis 3. Through the craftiness and deception of Satan, uh, he called into question God's goodness. Adam and Eve desired their own way, desired their own pleasures and their own provisions, and rebelled against God's way by eating the tree that was forbidden. At that very moment, sin entered into the world by Adam, and all things became separate, became disunified, became hostile, we became enemies of God. So ever since the fall, we live in separation from others and God. We live in alienation from God and others. We are hostile to God and others. We sin against God and others. So how do we, as enemies to God, come into union with Him? Well, it's through God's loving plan of reconciliation. Verse 19, Paul highlights this. Look at that with me. God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. He did this by not counting their trespasses against them. He did not count their sins against them. What does this mean? We are full of sin. We are utterly separated from God and God will not count our sins against us if we trust in Christ's sacrifice. To to not count our sins against us is purchasing language. We owe an immense debt for our sin. God tells us that the wages of sin is death. And yet, look at the last verse of the chapter, verse 21. God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Christ willingly paid for our debt. He wiped it by dying on the cross in our place. He's offered forgiveness. He became sin for us. If we accept Christ as our substitute, we have no debt any longer, past, present, or future. We are reconciled to him. Romans 5, 10 through 11 clearly states God's plan of reconciliation. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So reconciliation to God is only possible through Christ, taking our sin and dying on the cross in our place, Which makes us children of God, children of God, and not enemies of Him. So let's now turn to the ministry of reconciliation through Christ. Look at the end of verse 18. It says, and He gave us the ministry, He being God, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at the end of 19. He says, God entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So, Christ and the gospel are are made known to others when we offer reconciliation to others. As believers, reconciliation is not an option, it is our purpose, it is our ministry and it has been given to us. So as ambassadors of Christ, this is a picture of both the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Ambassador represents. Um, if we're rep- at, at ambassadors of Christ, we represent Christ. The message is simply us speaking the good news, which we've talked about already, the good news of Christ reconciling us to him through his death the ministry is simply our lives being walking representations of christ in every minutia of life not so simple right we can all it's only possible we can only do this by the spirit dwelling in us so question for you believer is your life a life of reconciliation do you speak the gospel to your family to your friends to your co-workers to everyone. Also, does your conduct, does your behavior present the gospel? Are you actively reconciling with others as Christ did with us? To reconcile to others begins at the heart. The heart position is what moves us into practical ministering of reconciliation. So what I want to do now is give us four heart positions that I believe are identifi- identifiers or characteristics of a biblical reconciler and I do this by looking at Christ and then I'll give you three practical steps of reconciliation but let's first start in the four heart positions the first position is the heart of sacrificial love reconciliation is a giving way of self to another out of love for them 1 John 4:10 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 Corinthians 13:4 through 8 tells us what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Notice in this list about love how other-centered that is. From the start to the beginning, the start to the end, it's other-centered. The second position of a biblical reconcile position of our hearts should be a heart of humility. heart that is humble, Christ humbled himself Philippians 2 5 through 8 says have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not account did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross a humble heart is also a heart that is not shocked that we have hurt somebody or that someone is hurt by us. If you are shocked when someone comes to you that has something against you or, you or tells you you have hurt them, if you're shocked, that's actually pride, which often leads to self-protection, a response of self-protection, defensiveness, dismissal, A variety of different ways of self-protecting but the humble heart responds with a heart of curiosity and receptivity a huh tell me more it also is a heart that grieves that someone else is hurt grieves that I that we might have caused that heartache that is a heart humble heart Christ was not shocked by our sin he was grieved over our sins, and yet offered forgiveness through a relationship with him. We must remember that the more intimate a relationship is, the deeper it is, the longer you have a relationship with, a, with someone, the more likely for conflict and hurt to happen. We are broken people breaking other people. Yet with a humble heart, this gives us more possibilities for reconciliation. Reconciliation. It gives us more possibilities for the gospel to be lived out and seen and to be received. Third, a heart position, the third heart position is a heart aware of sin. Christ had no sin, but he was very aware of sin and its impact on us and him. This is why he even prayed to the Father before he went to the cross and he asked for the cup to pass over. He knew what sin was about, is was about death. Though Christ was very aware of his purpose and his impact on the world, he knew that he was victorious and stronger than sin. And this is why he lovingly and willingly died in our place. So are you aware of your sin? Are you aware you're a sinner? And not just that you sin? but are you aware of the specific damage done to another or that you have received from the other? If you do not leave a conversation considering uh, your impact on that conversation, then we all have room to grow in our awareness. When I say impact, I don't just mean a negative impact, but I also mean your ability to bless another in all relationships, we have the potentiality to bless or to destroy. But do you consider what you have done after you have left a conversation or a situation? Or, or even better yet, in the moment, do you consider whether you're blessing or you, are you destroying? This is so important for reconciliation. Our fourth position is a heart for glory. Simply having hearts that are constantly aching for the day when Christ returns and all things are restored. All things are reconciled, made new, in perfect harmony, holy harmony with Him forever in a new heaven and new earth. Christ's heart heart was always towards glory, was always focused on it. If we have a heart towards glory, We seek to experience that and bring glory to others. So what I want to do now is transition to three practical steps of reconciliation as we end. First, we must go to another. It is said that time heals all things, time reconciles. This is an utter lie. What reconciles is blood. Blood. Time does not heal anything. Time does not reconcile broken relationships. Time is actually used in a way to suppress truth, to escape, to protect self from brokenness and hurt. Now, it is good to take time to be gracious and be patient with another um, to better know how to engage the broken relationship to, be, to bring more glory to that relationship or whether or not to engage it, as Proverbs talks about sometimes. But too often, most people hope it will all just go away if we don't engage it. It will all go away in time. So blood reconciles. What I mean by blood is relationships reconcile. The most clear and concrete example is Christ's blood poured out on the cross reconciling us to Him. If time reconciled, we would need no need, there would be no need for Jesus. Jesus came to us and sacrificially gave himself to us for us. Blood was spilt and we are reconciled. So what does this mean for us in our earthly relationships? We must be willing to engage and give ourselves to our broken relationships, no matter how small or how big which at times might actually feel like more blood being spilt more difficult at times Matthew five twenty three 23-24 Christ tells us to go to the brother or sister that has something against us and reconcile first before bringing your gifts to the altar to reconcile is more difficult than bringing gifts, gifts. it requires our whole being It is not just a possession. Romans 12, 18 says, If it it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, reconcile with others. Remember, we cannot make reconciliation happen, but we are called to be obedient in the ministry of reconciliation. It is not an option. We are offering the gospel to be more experienced and more received when we accept, when we attempt reconciliation. Second step, we must own our own sin. We must be vulnerable and take responsibility for the issue that we have caused without any buts or excuses. We must voice this to the other when we truly own our sin it gives us opportunity to grieve over our sin and the hurt we have caused which also leads us to true repentance which later in the book Paul actually begins does talk about the third step we must ask for forgiveness and give forgiveness not just saying I'm sorry We usually teach our children that, right? Say you're sorry. Not just say I'm sorry, but truly asking forgiveness. Will you please forgive me for my, whatever the harm is that's been done. This is a humble request, it's not a demanding request. This places us in a very vulnerable position. It feels completely naked and unprotected. This is the act of giving ourselves over to another We actually give them power now to bless or destroy. Bless by forgiving us or destroy by holding against us. So we must use the language of the cross of forgiveness. We must offer forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. What I hope you see in these practical steps of reconciliation is Christ and the the gospel. God through Christ came to us in our enmity and sin against him Christ took on our sin Christ humbly gave himself up for our forgiveness which saves us from death and reconciles us to him God through Christ reconciles us to himself and others amen so let's now turn and celebrate this gift of reconciliation by taking the Lord's Supper together